You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. We're going to continue and actually finish our series, Taking Ground, Taking Ground. And we're looking at the book of Joshua as we've been going through the series, the book of Joshua. And Joshua is right after Israel is uh, delivered in the Exodus. Israel spent 430 years in captivity. That's longer than the United States has been a nation. Israel, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. So all they knew was captivity. All they knew was slavery. All they knew was the experience of being harshly oppressed by the Egyptians. And yet, God in one generation delivered them by his power and might, brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of slavery and out of bondage and out of captivity. And he brought them into the wilderness to meet with him, to reveal himself to them so that they would know this personal covenant-making, relationship-building God who is passionately in pursuit, not only of them, but of all of us. And, And God brought them out to have them know him, but then he brought them out to bring them into something greater than what they had known before. He brought them into their promised land. The book of Joshua is actually about the next generation, the generation Moses failed to enter into that promise because of unbelief and, and because of disobedience, really. They turned back. They came to the boundary of the Jordan River as we looked at last week, and they turned back. And there's places in our own life where God brings us out of our captivity, our Egypt, the life without Jesus. And that's, that, that deliverance in the Old Testament is a picture of what Jesus does for us as he saves us and rescues us, and he delivers us from hell, delivers us from sin, delivers us from death, but he prepares us us first to know him, to walk with him, to experience him, but then to step into his, his good, perfect, and pleasing will for our lives, that God has something for all of us that he wants us to enter into. That's the promised land. And, and today we're going to spend a little bit more time. I'm going to try to give you a, a whole lot in a uh, kind of a, a condensed picture of the next four places that Israel would go. And we're just going to look briefly at these, but all of these illustrate the process by which God was not only bringing them out of Egypt, but first bringing Egypt out of them. How I many you know, like, you know, you encounter Jesus and he saves you out of the world, but, but there's still some of the world that he has to work out of you and me. That there's some things that, that he works on the inside to transform and to bring freedom, to bring healing, to bring uh, salvation, of course, but, but he ultimately wants to bring you into something. And we know the fulfillment of all of that is one day forever with him in heaven. But one thing I think we often forget as the church is not only does he have heaven as our home because of Jesus, but we also have a purpose right here on planet earth. The promised land was not just a place of peace and security forever, but it was actually a battleground, a place of inheritance, a place of promise where they were gonna have to take cities, where they were gonna have to face giants. And, and the place of your purpose has a, a battleground. But it's a, let me just tell you right now, I'm gonna spoil the ending, it's an unfair fight. Not for you, but for the enemy. It's an unfair fight because you with God always wins. You with God always determines the outcome in advance. And so God brings us out of our captivity. We like to say it like this. We use this language at River City Church that we want to see every person. In fact, we exist as a church so that every person can know Jesus. Every person can experience freedom. Every person can find community, find family, but also that we can discover purpose. The church is not heaven's waiting room. I wish I could just... Stay on that the rest of today. The church is not heaven's waiting room, counting off days until he either comes back again or we go to meet him. 
but we have a purpose right here in the world. Let's, let's give you four points today really quick. Number one is this, redemption frees you. Redemption frees you. The very first place after the Jordan River that they would go is a place that would be named Gilgal. And it comes from this verse. Let me read it to you. Joshua chapter five, verse nine. The Lord said to Joshua, this day, this moment, this time, this day, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Reproach was shame. Reproach was uh, fruitlessness. It was, it was a history of brokenness. It, it represented, God used that word to represent their past. And in a moment, and I'll describe what happened in, in, in that moment, but, but in that moment, God says, I'm rolling away. I'm removing your past. I'm rolling away the effect of your past on your life today. And I, I think sometimes the reason we can't move forward is we're only looking backwards. We can't move forward because all we can see is what happened before. All we can see is our own failure or the failures of others. All we can see is the hurt we've experienced or, or the mistakes that have been made. And we look back and we see the shame of our Egypt. And God wants to bring freedom. He wants to bring us to our Gilgal. He wants to bring us to the place where that barrenness and that brokenness, in fact, Gilgal also described, or reproach, excuse me, reproach can describe an injury caused by an enemy. And so in that place, God says, I am rolling that away so that it no longer affects your future. I'm taking the sting of the past. I'm taking the shame of the past and I'm rolling it away. What, what Egypt brought you, I'm bringing you out of. What happened to Gilgal was they, a new generation now, was making their faith personal. At Gilgal, they were, through the, through the act of circumcision, were entering into a covenant relationship with God. An outward act, an outward sign in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, that was saying, we are going to be set apart for God. We are going to join into a relationship with God. How many are glad for the New Testament that that's no longer the sign of joining the church? Church membership class would be a whole lot different. Thank you, Jesus, that we're in the New Testament. Okay. If you don't know, that was actually a real conversation in Acts 15 the church had about do we have Gentiles enter into a relationship with Jesus through the sign of circumcision? And yet, but with the, from Old to New Testament, God was after something greater. He was after a transformation of the heart. Let me read this to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord has set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you. See, every generation has to recognize God had a plan then, but he still has a plan today. God wants to take your faith and bring that to your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren. God wants to have every generation be impacted by this. That's why as a church, listen, there's things we're gonna do because we enjoy it, but there's gonna be some things we do because the next generation needs to be reached. Amen, good preaching. Because I don't wanna have a church just for us. I want a church that's gonna reach the next generation because our sons and daughters need what God has done in your life. Our city needs what God has done in your life. God wants to, so, so he's a generational God. Faith is personal and every generation must receive that personally. That's what Joshua's generation would be doing. It says he chose you, their descendants above all the nations as it is today. That is God speaking to Israel. He said, circumcise then your hearts. Therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. There's, there's something that happens. God says, I'm setting you apart. And he would use the outward uh, demonstration of 
circumcision, but it was to point to something God wanted to do in their hearts. And so religion focuses on externals. God, first and foremost, focuses on the heart because the heart is the issue of real lasting transformation. Did I give you point one? Point one is redemption frees you. Where do we need freedom? It starts on the inside. Real freedom is not just because, as I said, Israel was brought out of external captivity and that was necessary. But it doesn't help to be set free physically, outwardly only, and still live internally like they did as slaves in Egypt. Because many more people are not captive outwardly, they're captive on the inside. And if you're captive on the inside, in your heart, in your life, you're going to look at the problem as being the people in your life, the people around you, your environment, your workplace. And and it's not to say that there aren't issues around you, but many times we think, well, if I just have a change of environment, my life will be different. And while that can bring short-term changes, lasting transformation doesn't come because we just change relationships and we change homes and we change environments and we change workplaces, but instead that we have our heart transformed. Are are you with me? If your heart is transformed, everything else flows from that place. So so here's how the New Testament puts this. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, here's how the Bible describes this, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. If you didn't realize this, the day you accepted Jesus, the day he became Lord of your life, you surrender your life to Jesus, not only did you get a home in heaven, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells on the inside of you, but he begins to work on the inside to bring freedom. He works to bring freedom, and here's what it looks like. He says, you know, and I believe this starts with him setting us free from sin. Do you know one of the greatest things he ever set me free from was me? I I know that's not as fun to talk about. But but sometimes what we need freedom from more than anything else is us. And what do I mean by that? So in the world, the world just says, well, hey, go and find yourself. I'm just going to go and find me. And that's, that's fine, but you'll realize that what you find is always short-term and not fulfilling. But here's how Jesus said, this is where fulfillment in real life comes from. See, in the world, the world says, here's your identity, here's your worth, here's your value. Here's, I, I just heard this yesterday, that, that uh, if, if you were to reduce your physical body down to just the chemical elements, and they were to evaluate the, the, just the value of the chemical elements that your body is composed of, it would be worth equivalent to about $170. Wow. And the world says what we are and who we are and what we're defined by is we're nothing just but a random mix of chemicals. And that's our value. We're a name. We're a statistic. We're just, a, and, but, but God comes along and says, no, no, you're created in my image. You are worth heaven's very best. In fact, you're worth the cross of Jesus. You're worth the son of God pouring out his life for you and for me. Heaven gave his very best. That's what you're worth to God. And when we discover that, we realize I'm ruined for living for less. I'm, I'm ruined for settling for less, selling my life for less. And so, so we recognize that he says, Our whole life, our whole self, we've been set free from that. Jesus said this. He said, if you want to find your life, lose it. Give it away. 
If you wanna, if you wanna lose your life, try to keep it. Try to hang on to it. Try to, and so the world says, find yourself. Jesus says, lay yourself down and you'll actually find your real life. Like you'll find an identity that's far greater than the, what the world says. You'll find a purpose that's far greater than what the world has to offer. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. That is a description of he took all of the things that said you're guilty, all the things that said sin has marred your life and your future, that, that that was what defined us. And the Bible says God took our sin and placed it on the cross where his son was nailed to a tree and he took our sin and shame so that he could redeem us, buy us back. Redemption brings freedom. And that day God rolled away the reproach of Israel. The next place they go to is Jericho, the next city. And point number two is that encounter with God positions you. Redemption frees you, but encounter with God positions you. It came to pass, uh, chapter five, verse 13, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And, and real quick, here's the scene. Joshua is there spying out. He's about to attack the city of Jericho. He's got his guys. And, and listen, as good as they are, they're not good enough. As strong as they are, they're not really equipped for this battle that they're supposed to fight on their own because they've been slaves for 400 years. Like they're not, they didn't go to West Point. They're not the Navy SEALs. They're not properly equipped. They don't have the right weaponry and the right armor and all those things. But here's what they do have. They have God. And so, so Joshua is spying out the city. He's looking, his night before, he's looking at the city. Okay, what's the best approach? How do we take the city? What should we do? Where's the vulnerable points? And, and, and what kind of, and he's coming up with a plan that is supposed to give him success and victory. But what he needs to see is not his plan. He needs to have an encounter with the God who's got a far greater plan. And the Lord shows up. And the Lord shows up. The, the scholars would call this the angel of the Lord. It's, it's more than just an angel, lowercase a, but capital A angel. In other words, it's the presence of the Lord himself. We know this because of Joshua's response in just a moment, but here's what I want you to catch. He says, are you with us or are you with our enemies? And, and so many times, I'm just gonna be real. So like my wife and I on occasion will disagree. It's happened once or twice, just on occasion. Once or twice this morning. Just, just once or twice. And so, so whenever we have a disagreement, here's what I think. I'm right, and God's on my side. Like, like I'm right, and God's on my side, and he's going, to, he's going to prove me right. And I found that usually both of those are not correct. Am I, okay. So this is why this is important because so many times we're trying to get God on our side. In fact, the world often quotes and references and says, well, Jesus would follow this cause and Jesus would do things this way, but they've never even read the Bible. So, so until you decide what Jesus would do, just look at what Jesus actually did. 
and what he actually said. But let me just say this, that, that many times we're trying to get, like, I'm praying for my team to win, but guess what? There's somebody on the other side that's probably praying for, for that team too, except for the Packers. I, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, Pastor Shelby's not here to attack me, and so I, okay, so... so <laughs> But here's the issue. We think we're trying to get God on our side. What Joshua needed to know, he says, are you with us? I mean, we would think the obvious answer is, of course he's with Israel. Of course he, he just told Joshua a few chapters before, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Why wouldn't he be with, but that wasn't the issue. The issue was not, God, are you on my side or, or my opponent's side, my side or the enemy's side, my side, or, and, and that's, what did he need to know? The angel responds, no. Go to the next verse. No. <laughs> he, he, he says, no, but as the commander of the Lord's armies, I've come. What's he letting Joshua know? I'm in charge. And the issue is not whose side is God on. The issue is, am I on God's side? It's not, am I trying to convince, am I trying to twist God's arm to prove me right? No, no. Or, or better, am I getting on, am I in alignment with the purpose of heaven? There's a reason why Jesus taught the church to pray. And one of the things he said to pray is, your will be done. It's saying, God, I'm gonna gonna trust your way over my way. I'm gonna let you be in charge and direct the plan. And you know what the result of that encounter with God was? God gives him a plan. Here's Here's what God says to Joshua. God tells Joshua, he says, I want you to take the armies, take the people, and walk around the city for seven days. And then on the seventh day, walk around seven more times. And at this point, I think Joshua's going, how in the world am I going to explain this to people? They're going to think, this is the worst plan. It's just the worst plan. But here's what, God gives him a strategy. And you know the story, you know from Sunday school, you know the end result. What happens? They walk around seven times. On the seventh day, they blow the trumpets after seven times walking around the city. And, and God's power shows up and the walls collapse. And they take the city. God's power shows up in response to God's plan. Not Joshua's plan. Not Joshua's best idea. There's a lot of stuff I can try to strategize and come up with, and all of it's fine. But what if instead I exchange my plan for God's plan? What if you and I exchange our plan for God's plan? And that plan is found in encounter with God. Time with God, Matthew 6, 6. Jesus said, here's how you pray. Don't just pray in public. Don't just pray, and we should pray in public. We do it all the time as a church. We pray with people. We had an outreach team yesterday, a city group that goes out and was sharing Jesus with people and praying with people. I love that. That's what we're to do. But it's, I like to call this the iceberg principle. If all we have is what's above the surface instead of also below the surface, there's not a lot of depth. And, and what I love about this is Jesus says, here's how you have an effective, powerful prayer life. He says, start in the secret place. He says, if you, when you pray, go in secret. Shut the door behind you. I know the kids will be knocking on the door and they'll be peeking under the door. You shut the door. Shut the door behind you, and here's what you do. Go and talk to the father who's in secret, and that father who sees in secret, knows in secret, will reward you openly, Matthew 6, 6. So public victory is a result of private breakthrough. Public victory, public answers that everybody can celebrate started with the secret place, started with what's below the surface, 
And I call it the iceberg principle because an iceberg's greatest mass is not what you see above the surface. The world focuses only, and sometimes the church, we do this the same way. We focus on what everybody can see, what everybody can celebrate, but God sees what's unseen. God sees what the, the history that's made with him that nobody can celebrate. And sometimes we devalue our purpose because we go, well, this isn't Instagram worthy. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something that we can have celebrated. I would rather be celebrated by heaven and feared in hell than known in the world. And, and, and we have a purpose in the world. That's what he says. I'm going to reward you openly. I'm going to impact the world through your life. But it's people that make history with God in the secret place that God can make history through them in the public. And God's looking for people that'll encounter him on the, uh, uh, alone with God, getting alone with God. What if God changed your family, but it happened in the secret place? The greatest things I've ever seen God do in my life, in our household, in our family, were things that were in response to just getting on my face with Jesus. God encounters, bring transformation. The other thing that comes out of this is that step of obedience because uh, the plan didn't make sense. The plan is walk around the city. Like, why would I walk around the city? In fact, Joshua adds this. I'll just throw this in there. Joshua adds this to the people. He says, hey, walk around for seven days, but don't say a word. <laughs> why would he say that? Because he knows people. And after about day two, let's just be honest, after about hour one, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Who told us to have follow Joshua? Like what is going, and, and they're at this place where the plan isn't making sense, but it was obedience to the plan. Even when it didn't make sense, that was faith. The result was God brought victory. So uh, number three is the next city. They go to a place called Ai. Right after Jericho, the city is taken. Victory comes. The walls come down and they take the city. But God gave them a very specific instruction. The first city that you take in the promised land belongs to me. Jericho is one of the oldest cities in human history. And, and God said it was actually the first one on their journey across the Jordan River. They would take Jericho. And God said, this is first and the first is mine. So don't take what's a spoil of the battle. It belongs to me. Don't rebuild the city. It belongs to me. And, and, and why that's important is because throughout God's word, the principle of first is always important, where we put God first in our lives, where we give to God what's first of our time, our talent, our treasure, that we give to God first. And, and, but one guy, his name is Achan, and, and it's almost a footnote. It's not as well known as Jericho because Jericho, man, we love the walls coming down. You know, we watch Veggie Tales. Like, like they, all that stuff. Like we got, we got the flannel graph. Anybody remember flannel graph from Sunday school? Like we got all that about the wall of Jericho. Nobody talks about Ai. The very next city, why? Because Ai is actually a low point for Israel, but it was just as important of a lesson as Jericho. Achan is one of the guys who's taken the city and he starts to notice, man, those Babylonian robes, can't get that at Target. And he takes it for himself. And he starts to take other things that he's finding and he thinks nobody noticed, so he hides it and he puts it in his own tent and he conceals what he's taken that doesn't belong to him. And Israel gets ready for, for the next battle and here's what they say in Joshua, uh, Joshua 7. Let's look at, verse, look at verse three. When they return to Joshua they look at the army of the, of the people of Ai and they say, not all the army's got to go up against them. Like, we got this. Um, just send a few thousand. 
Don't weary the whole army. There's only a few people there. So verse four, so about 3,000 went up, but they were routed. Now, that, that means they were defeated by the people of Ai. So, so what they estimated, oh, we got this. Have you ever thought that? Like I had past momentum, past success, past answers to prayer, past whatever, like things are going well. And it's sometimes, if we're not careful, success that becomes our enemy. I mean, we're just, we're living in this right now. Do you realize right now that we are, have the highest percent of people who are hungry for God in our nation, probably in the last 40 years since the, the Jesus people moved? I'm serious. Like, we're, there, there's, we're positioned. You know why? We're just in a season that people aren't trusting in themselves anymore like they used to. Foundations are being shaken. And so, you know, in, in difficult times, people recognize, here's the truth, we always needed God. Like, we needed God in the good times as well as the tough times. But, but here's, here's, the, here's the key. These guys thought, man, we've had success. We got this. Just send a few guys. Don't, don't. And they're depending on their own ability. And they show up and they lose. And Joshua is upset. He falls down on his face and he says, God, Why? Have you ever asked God why, even though you were the one that got yourself in that mess in the first place? None of you, just me, okay. Joshua says, why God? And God says, get off of the floor. It's, it's there. Why are you lying on your face like this? So why, why are you doing that? Why are you feeling sorry for yourself? Get up, here's the issue. And he actually says, Israel, the people have sinned against me. Well, it was one guy. One guy. But if you read the rest of the story, this one guy, and God, God reveals what happened, but he says the reason, in fact, let me read this one verse to you. Um, verse 12, and he tells him, there was something taken that belonged not to him, not to, not to this person in the camp, and that is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. You were born in your spiritual DNA to overcome. It's who you are in Jesus. The Israelites had God's presence and God's power and they were meant to overcome, but they were defeated, not externally only, but they were first, long before they were defeated by the people of Ai, they were defeated on the inside. And that's where the issue of character comes in. Number three is character can keep us. Character keeps us, but brokenness or, or a lack of character actually causes us to lose ground. Instead of taking ground, we lose the ground we've gained. And here's the story, this one man's concealing and it comes out, what he's hidden has come out and, and, and what he thinks is kept away from everybody else becomes very public in the wrong way. And his decision, here's what I want you to understand church, his decision would actually lead to his, the downfall of his whole family. We think sometimes, man, sin doesn't affect anybody else. It's just my issue. Just for me and mine. Just mine. You know what character is? Character is not what people can see on Sunday morning. It's who I am when no one's around. It's who I am in secret. It's who I've, it's what I've hidden. And because of what he decided to hide, it brought down his family even 
larger, it affected the whole community. The entire community lost the battle. The entire community was defeated at Ai because of Achan. And here's the issue for you and for me. Sin isolates, it separates, and that's what happens with Achan. It affects others. It can even lead the larger community, the church, into defeat. But here's, here's the picture. In John, in 1 John, it tells us the key to overcoming what's hidden. Because here's the reality, all of us have things that are hidden in some way. None of us are perfect. The issue is, because here's what we hide, we empower. We may hide something because we go, well, I'm in a small town, everybody knows me. Everybody knows, or, or I'm in church and I have to put on, I have to look perfect, I have to have it all together. And so, so the enemy comes along and whispers in our ear and says, keep it buried, keep it hidden. It's not gonna affect anybody until it does. Until it erodes what's under the surface that nobody else can see. And you go out to fight one day like you did a hundred times. You go out to be successful like you've done a hundred times before, but this time's different because the foundations have been eroded. And that never happens generally, doesn't happen in one major decision. It happens over a lifetime of allowing those things to affect and undermine our character. But what's hidden and buried is empowered when it's kept in the dark. But here's the beautiful picture when we bring it to the light. First John says this, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, that's where Jesus is, he's in the light, nothing hidden. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have two things, fellowship with one another. Do you know what is one of the greatest hindrances to real authentic relationships? It's not being ourselves. It's hiding, it's burying, it's concealing, it's putting on a facade, it's keeping back what, what, what is actually keeping us bound. And yet, when we take it into the light, it doesn't even have to be a lengthy, long process. The moment what's hidden comes to light, we break its power over our life. Because what's actually in the dark is what's ruling us. He says, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus that washes away... God doesn't go, well, these sins over here I can't deal with, but these are okay, I'll deal with. No, no, no. All sin can separate us from God, but Jesus comes and brings the blood of Christ through, the, through his sacrifice, and the blood of Christ washes away all our sin. That's amazing. And that's forgiveness with God. There's forgiveness for every single one of us in this room. But there's also available to us a fellowship the Bible uses that word fellowship. It's a, it's a church word. It's a Bible word. What does it mean? It means to be open and have all things together in common. In other words, what, what is in my life, I'm able to pour into somebody else. But I can't do that when I'm hiding. Do you know what the church is? Church should be a hospital. Oh, it should be a hospital for the spiritually broken, for the hurting, for the lost, for all, every single one of us. And when we come, to, we come to Jesus, the great physician, we don't come. There's two kinds of people that go to the doctor usually. There's the people that WebMD it. You know what I mean? Like we come to the doctor and we go, let me tell you, before you even examine me, let me tell you all the things that are wrong with me. And all of your expertise and all of that you know, let me tell you. And then there's others that are, frankly, this is more how I am. I'm like, nothing's wrong. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with me. 
And, and, and when we come to God, we need to be real enough to say, I'm not gonna misdiagnose my heart issue. I'm not gonna try to fix it on my own. I'm gonna come to the only one who can heal, the only one who can set free, Jesus. That's where we come to the spiritual hospital and then we allow him, we're humble enough to say, God, I need your help. Nobody else may know what's going on, but you know what's going on and you love me still. And I'm gonna come to you. But you know what, the church is all supposed to be family. The church is a hospital, the church is family. And this entire community of Israel was affected because of Achan's decision. It affected the whole family. And you and I, we have to be willing to say, here's what the Bible says, James 5.16, confess your trespasses one to another. Forgiveness is from God. And we give forgiveness to others, but healing in our hearts happens as we bring things to light. That's what I love about our groups. Our groups are so powerful. We have fun groups. We have uh, study groups. We have all kinds of things. But we also have groups that we're willing to say, you know what? I'm going to let somebody be in my life to speak into my life. And I'm going to be that for somebody else. Number four is purpose invites you into the impossible. Purpose invites you into the impossible. Jason, if you want to get ready. Joshua 10, as they leave Ai, they have success in the promised land, but word gets to five kings, five kings of the Amorites, including the king of Jerusalem. Joshua 10, 5, says they, they gather and they realize they can't defeat the Israelites directly. So here's what they do. They think, instead of attacking the Israelites, I'm gonna go after their most vulnerable allies. If the devil can't hit you directly, he'll try to affect those that are vulnerable around you to get at you through them. And, and, and so here's, here's what happens. The Israelites have only one group of people. It's a long story, but only one group of people they're in covenant relationship with, the Gibeonites. And Joshua hears word that five armies have gathered together a coalition to take and destroy the city of the Gibeonites. Joshua hears this. He gathers his troops of Gilgal and he says, we're gonna go after them. And purpose looks like this. Purpose looks like not just taking care of what I need and receiving from God what I need, but it says, I'm gonna go after and help other people. I'm gonna go all in to fight for somebody else. I'm gonna go all in in commitment to fight for my family, to fight for my, my community, to say, I want the purpose of heaven fulfilled. It looks like this for Joshua. He gathers his troops and they march literally all night long without rest, without ceasing, just to show up the next morning and fight a battle. All night long to fight for those that could not defend themselves. Joshua faces down the enemy. And what I love about this is God shows up in a great way. Because if you'll grab a hold of, here, here, here's what the point is, God's purpose for you invites you to encounter the impossible, to experience the impossible. And Joshua gathers his troops and they go to fight five, five to one. They're fighting the enemy. Five nations against theirs. And they go to fight and they start to have success. But the day's growing long and they're exhausted, but they're not gonna quit. I just think we gotta get our fight back a little bit in the church. Sometimes we get weary, we get discouraged, we get tired. We think the day's long, we can't do it. You know what Joshua's response is to being tired, working all night, moving all night? Do you know, God doesn't bless the bench. He blesses the battle. 
We need rest. We need all that. But we, we're not meant to live on the bench. But in the fight, they march all night. They show up. They start fighting the enemy. And all of a sudden, as the tide turns and the enemy army is defeated, they realize it's getting late. It's getting dark. And they have to finish this battle to win it. If they don't, the enemy will come back probably even stronger. And there's some things we need to make the decision that God, I'm gonna deal with this now and we're gonna go after it until we win. Joshua realizes it's too late in the day. So here's what he does. He prays a ridiculous and amazing prayer. Sun stands still. I don't know what's in the heart of Joshua that he goes, this is possible. But you know, sometimes religions so messed us up. We're so conditioned to think of what God can't do or won't do. Joshua goes, the battle needs more light. Sun stands still. God gives them victory. It's the longest day. And it says that there's never been a day, a moment like that, where God heeded the voice of man in such a way. And yet, what I love about that story is bold, faith-filled action moved the hand of God. And it says God got involved in that battle. It's an unfair fight when the Lord shows up in your battle. Not for you, but for the enemy. One last thing in the story. This is where we'll stop. I, I, I love this part. This is my favorite part. Not even the sun stuff. This is what I love. These five kings, their armies are defeated. And while the battle is being waged, those five kings are captured and they're placed in a, in a cave that's covered over with a stone. Joshua comes at the end of the day, at the end of the battle with his men. And they come to the mouth of the cave and he says this, roll the stone away. and Bring out those five kings. And in those days, these men were not just considered to be political leaders, but often kings in that era were venerated and almost like Roman emperor, like they're, wor- they're gods. They're, they would be worshiped and feared. And, and, and so they were untouchable for the average man. And yet Joshua says, bring them out. Don't be afraid of them. And to show his men that they didn't have to fear these five kings, he puts his foot on the neck of each one of those kings. And I'm telling you, 2,000 years ago, a stone was rolled away. And your Jesus conquered sin, conquered death, conquered hell, and he won the victory over the enemy not just the devil, but over the enemy that held, has held you captive all your life. Jesus puts his foot on the neck of the enemy. But then Joshua waves his guys over and he says, this victory I have, I'm inviting you to participate in. And he tells his captains, his, his leaders, he says, come over and place your foot on the neck of them too. Why? Because he was letting them know you're participating in this victory. It's not just what I've done for you, but something I'm inviting you to do with me. And if the church would capture this, that we would receive all that Jesus paid a price to win for us, but then we would step into the purpose of God because Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Devil doesn't have any. All authority has been given to me. Go into all the world. That fear that's ruling your life, put your foot on its neck don't believe me here's what Paul said in Romans we'll finish with this verse Romans chapter 16 verse 20 what it says 
the God of peace, will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. He's already under the feet of Jesus. He's already crushed. But he's about to crush him under your feet. What does that mean? It means that God's inviting you into purpose. That the battle over your family, and the battle over your future, the battle over your God-given inheritance and his will for your life that we've talked about all month, it's gonna require participation. In fact, all of Israel was learning now to not just think like slaves in Egypt, but now be more than conquerors in a promised land and to participate in the victory that Joshua had won. You and I are invited to experience victory in Jesus. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.